0: Hello friends, how you doing? It's Matt and we're on episode 31 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. So thanks for tuning in to this one and I hope you enjoy it. Definitely picked up a few new recruits off the back of the Aussie Omnibus episodes with Hayden Cox, Lane Beachley and Tom Carroll. So if you're a new recruit, then stick around and I hope you enjoy it. So my guest for episode 31... Might not enjoy the same global profile as the aforementioned guests, but for me, he's just as important and was in fact one of the very first names on the team sheet when I sat down to compile my very first list of dream guests when I started this whole thing back at the beginning of 2017. He is Tim Layton Boyce, who for a period through the 80s and early 90s was the man behind the seminal Rad Skateboard Magazine here in the UK. Don't know what Rad is, you're probably a bit younger than me or not from the UK. The magazine ran until 1993 and during its heyday comprehensively documented the emerging UK skate scene. But perhaps more importantly, it was a window onto a world and culture that at the time was genuinely alternative. It's really difficult to remember these days, even for old farts like me. But back then, if you wanted to investigate something like skateboarding, you really did have to go out and, and seek out a magazine like Rad. It wasn't on the TV, there was no internet, videos are expensive and hard to get hold of at least initially. So having a resource like Rad to pick up each month or another magazine like Sister Publication Skateboard was really crucial for uh, people who wanted to find out more about these worlds. And you can see just how important it was to a generation by the popularity of the Read and Destroy Instagram account which I'll link to in the show notes and which is currently being run by one of Rad's designers, Dan Adams. So I really implore you to check this one out as it's a proper labour of love that's brilliantly tapped back into that specific era and he's doing a great job of uh, shining a light on some of the individuals and moments that really shaped UK and European skateboarding during that time. And a consistent theme is Tim Layton Boyce um, because most of the archive is his and most of the shots that are being run are Tim's. So, yeah, really, it was that, my own nostalgia about Rad, the emergence of the Read and Destroy Instagram that really made me want to speak to Tim for the podcast. Personally, I grew up reading that mag as a teenage skater in Manchester in the early 90s during the so-called small wheels, big pants, dark ages. And for me, Rad was was basically a massive influence on my life and what I ended up doing. I ended up writing my own shit zines. I ended up taking pictures of me and my mates skating the local car park copying the captions from rad um, and a few years later when I was about 18 and I was offered the chance to write for snowball magazines by people like Eddie Spearing and Chod Thomas which was obviously a massive deal to me I knew what to do from rad basically because I copied the tone and approach that they'd had and just hoped for the best and happily it turned out pretty well and 20 years later I still somehow appeared to have a career doing the same shit So yeah, like I say, very selfishly, I always wanted to do this episode because I knew I wanted to speak to Tim about the whole story. And I wanted to pay a bit of tribute to people like Tim and Dan, who, uh, as I say, is running the Instagram account, without whom the cultures we know and love simply wouldn't be the same. So it's a bit of a tricky one to set up this. These days, Tim is pretty happy to sit in the background and get on with his life. But after some persuading, I met up with him and Dan at Dan's studio in East London at the end of uh, November 2017. And we cracked on with this one. And there's definitely uh, a homely background noise vibe to this, which I hope everyone can get into. But yeah, it's a really natural conversation with Tim, with uh, some contributions from Dan as well, who also sat in on the on the interview. Tim's basically a quietly uh, visionary, passionate guy who, like I say, had a huge influence on my life and countless others. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this one. Here it is my chat with Tim Layton Boyce on Read and Destroy. Enjoy so i'm with tim leighton boyce how are you tim i'm very well yeah thank you i have to bring that a little bit closer okay there we go um thanks for joining me
1: really appreciate it i'm very happy to talk about it i'm ball for britain on this subject
0: yeah so one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you is because of the uh Read and Destroy Instagram that's been basically becoming
1: really popular over the last few months. And this is a lot of your photography, right? It's my photography, but I'm not the person behind the account. The account is actually being run by Dan Adams, who these days is the curator of all those photographs. And it's being done as part of a project to produce a book about, uh, well, a book containing photographs by all the different rad photographers, not just me.
0: So who else is going to be so featured? So there'll be
1: myself, Dobie, um, Paul Sunman, let me think, Vernon Adams, Wig Warland, um, Mike John. This gets a bit difficult. Somebody somewhere is going to say, where's my what name? About me? What, what about, about me? me? What about me? But there's a group of us um, who are, you know, Going to finally produce this book, we hope. And Dan yeah. is very, very, very much one of the driving forces behind it. And Dan's the person who has finally done something that has never been done before, which is actually sort out all those photographs.
0: So what you just had the archive from the rad years that, that you The archive really... is sort of overstated. Right.
1: Okay. We had a load of a filing, filing cabinets cabinet. and boxes <laughs> and because they're all on slides, obviously. Yeah, exactly. And one of the problems with that is what happens with the slides is they'd be sent off to be scanned, they would be sprayed with hairspray to stick them onto the scanning drum, scanned, and then chucked in a plastic bag to be sent back to the publishers. And some of these photographs were still in those plastic bags because, of course, by the time we get them back, we're well into not the next issue, probably the issue after that one. Uh, so there was seldom any opportunity to sort any of this stuff out. So it was dumped in a filing cabinet? A lot of it was really just dumped. Yeah. You could do a whole separate interview with Dan about right. all the work that he's done, sorting them out. So but Dan worked on the mag with you then? Yeah, Dan was the designer on the magazine. Um, I'm trying to think which era Dan designed, but there was, well, there was a sequence of different people who were involved in the magazine. Yeah. But again, I knew Dan before the magazine. Uh, again going back to the the dark ages period Dan's just brought us some biscuits <laughs> cheers Dan thanks yeah Dan's part of the this dark ages era uh, when skateboarding was just a, a handful as it seemed a few hundred as it probably were was people in the UK and so I got to know Dan through his work at Crystal Palace working on the, the big ramp that was actually in the National Sports Centre for a while what era do are you call the Dark Ages then? So I'd say there, there there's big, a few Dark Ages yeah, in there. In America, they had a skateboard boom in the 60s and then one in the 70s. In the UK, we only had the one in the 70s. We didn't get the first one. But there was this huge, huge thing called skateboarding, uh, which ended up on television. Uh, every company you could think of was selling skateboards, including Boots the Chemist. Um, people like that were all jumping on the skate bandwagon. And it blew to bits, completely imploded, on basically Christmas Day 1977. And on you know, the beginning of 1978, I think effectively the skateboard industry woke up to discover it didn't exist. It, it became a sort of byword for something that spectacularly collapsed. So you're talking like a kind of hula hoop level crazy. Yeah, it was massive. Yeah. And then it was absolutely dead. Uh, Is this dying... when
0: you first got into it then? just when you first... Found out about skateboarding.
1: Yeah, I first got involved in skateboarding as I was a university student. Some of my mates were into skateboarding, um, so when I graduated, I came back to London. Uh, somebody nicked my car, and I thought, oh, finally, I'm going to have to knuckle down and get a job to uh, earn some money. Uh, so I. There was this job I saw advertised in the Evening Standard, which said graduates looking for a job. That was me. I went along for the interview. It was a skateboard shop opposite Harrods right. it was recruiting people. Um, so I got a job in this skateboard shop, and then suddenly my involvement in skateboarding became very, very much bigger. Okay. So that—that's how I got sort of started to get involved in it. Right. What What year is this? That would be seventy-eight. Right. when unbeknownst to me the company recru- yeah, <laughs> the company recruiting us on this scale didn't realize that it had just uh you know that skateboarding had just collapsed so we were um i i got involved in the sort of skate industry side of it just as it was all coming to an end right so what what did the skateboard industry look like in
0: 1978 in the uk yeah
1: Um, a couple of big distributors, uh, who, the one I was working for was a company called Alpine Sports, who became a byword within the American industry for bad people because they basically couldn't pay all the bills for all this huge amount of stock that they had. Right. But they were a ski, ski company. Right. Um, so the seventies skateboard boom in the UK was actually probably had its origins in the ski industry here, ski trade and were you taking pictures at this point as well uh yes hand in hand yeah i'd uh i've been taking pictures since i was five um so when i was at university i was taking pictures of my mates i was into doing things like flash and blur pictures then i not of people doing action type things i would take multiple exposures with multiple flashes and i was experimenting with stuff like that i was just you know typical person at that stage in their sort of photographic thing just, yeah, trying, just, anything just trying anything, anything. So, it's,
0: so it's probably pretty natural for you to start putting yeah. your camera at skateboarding. yeah
1: so absolutely i just started photographing um the people i was working with and what they were doing at
0: right so who 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 would this be who were you shooting around this time
1: well because
0: your archive i mean i keep saying archive but the, the shots that you know they're they're late 70s early 80s aren't they you
1: yeah so it starts then um and hanging around the shop would be people like, I mean, the names of it: Jeremy Henderson, John Soblowski, um, Mazels Brothers. Um, God, I'm trying to think. Of, uh, and the names all f- disappear. I'm sorry. This Dave is, Ferry. Yeah. Um, who are the guys? Neil Harding. Yeah. Neil Harding, jingery yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And who are Jingles? Who, who are the um, Ronin people?
2: Music. Oh, the brother. Turnbull Alex, brothers. Turnbull brothers. Yeah. yeah. They, right. So, Shane and Seth Cutts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: Loads, loads of... There, there was a sort of crew of pro skaters at that, that era and quite a lot of them would hang around that place even though Alpine by that point was not at all cool. Right. Um, but they hung around there. OK. And, you know, we were all part of a, a scene. So, I mean, there's an interesting part in how I learned to do the skate photography is I was hanging around with this group of very good London skaters... And basically, I would go and take pictures of them, which they liked because, you know, this is all pre-digital. Yeah. So somebody could actually take relatively decent photographs was interesting. And somebody who then started putting up multiple coloured flash guns and things around them, that feels nice, doesn't it? If you're in the middle of it, it all sounds like... He knows what he's uh, doing. Yeah, we're all hyping ourselves up. You turn it into quite a nice thing. But the the key for me in this is we used to do slideshows. I used to go and show the slides of the skaters. Right. And then by judge, you know, I could gauge their reactions to it as what people liked and what they didn't. Right. And of course I was looking at all the American magazines. Yeah. And the UK magazines there were several at the time. And were you working for any of the media at that point? Yeah. So that began when Trade Winds who were a much cooler trendier shop down the road in Fulham um Took me off to Paris to a skate contest, and uh, with their team, and I photographed that because I mean these included the people I've just been talking about. Yeah, and so they had those pictures, and they took them round to Skateboard magazine, which was probably the best of the skateboard magazines in the UK at the time. It was published by Dennis Felix Dennis Publishing, um, and. I got this phone call from this guy called Bruce Sawford, who was the editor, and he said, where have you been all my life? Which is right. one of the nicest things anyone's ever seen to a me. A good, good
0: photographer. Me,
1: yeah, somebody who can take pictures. Yeah. But the, um, So he got me to go around there, and he actually taught me very specifically about how to do it as a sort of, uh, in a sort of professional sense. Also. Right, in a kind of commercial sense. Yeah, he said, you've, well, as a photographer, he said, you've got to take a lot of black and white. Right. I have to have black and white because especially in those days color was only available on some pages so he said all the photographers never take enough black and white get me establishing shots of all the locations that you're shooting get me shots of the background you know people hanging out um so he sort of stepped me through it like that and they included teaching me how to do an invoice stuck a bit of paper in the typewriter right and start you know this is what you type on the invoice yeah and, and it was 75 pounds a day too Blimey. Plus your film paid
0: for. That's decent. That, yeah. yeah.
1: I'm damn, damn right it
0: was. I think some photographers these days are pretty happy with that.
1: Well, that's if the, they're getting paid at all. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the thing that always struck
0: me as an Think of the
1: exposure. Yeah, when I moved on to Rad, I was always really embarrassed about the rate that we paid for the photographs, which was oh. basically £40 a page. I've always wanted to ask that's you this. What was your word rate on Rad? 40, £40 a thousand. Really? Okay. Which I was so embarrassed by. Right. So, yeah, that was it in the 80s.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it ain't gone up much.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> to tell no, you the truth. I, I would hate to be involved these days. I cannot imagine how anybody makes a living out of it. Not yeah. that we really made a living out of it either.
0: Right. But at least there was a journalism industry, if you like, where it was actually a kind of business model that could work. Yes. In the traditional sense.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Whereas, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, does it? Yeah. So you were you were getting... Sounds like a you know, great apprenticeship experience with the yeah. skateboarders in the
1: media. Yeah. Um, and you were also shooting BMX, right? No, 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 no. This okay. is separated out. So what happened was skateboarding collapsed. Right. So that magazine, for example, closed down. Okay. Uh, and most of the skateboard shops, bar one or three, closed down. Um, where, where are we about. now? What, what year? So, this would be on into 79, 80, around okay, right. about so there. right. Similar, right. The first thing that, that all those shops and people got into was Roller Disco. Right. So, there was a very brief explosion of Roller Disco, which kept some of those organisations going. And then the next thing that came along that they all got very, very actively involved in was BMX. So, I was involved in the early days of BMX in this country as well. Yeah, because I guess in the, early, in the
0: early to mid-80s, that went, underwent a similar kind of boom, really, didn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, again, there were several magazines that emerged, and one of them that was the sort of leading contender was the thing that turned into BMX Action Bike. Right. Now, me and the skate-type people who were around at that time hated it. It seemed so, so cheesy. Right. Um, But it was the publication. And so, for example, we were running adverts. And um, there was, you know, the skate shop that was around called Alpine Action. We ran some very funny skateboard ads, I think, taking the piss out of... Right. Well, BMX ads taking the piss out of being in a BMX bag. Okay. Uh, Some of which they really didn't want us to publish. Some of which I think I recall correctly they didn't publish. Right. Um, So... But because of my involvement in photography, I had, when the skateboard magazine closed down, the same publishers had a motorbike magazine, so I started doing off-road motorbike photography for them, um, basically applying similar techniques to, to motorbikes. And so when the BMX thing started happening, not immediately, not for quite a while, because the thing, I really didn't want to get involved, because I really didn't like the the content of the magazine very much apologies to the guys involved who i rate extremely highly they taught me how to produce rad magazine right so nigel who is probably up in heaven he died and richard who may end up for all we know ever coming across this uh i you know they, they did a huge amount for rad magazine indirectly and directly but um in those days it was we really didn't want to get involved in it but
0: well, that that it just means you knew what you wanted. I yeah. mean, this is all leading towards, towards what you ended up doing, which
1: is rad, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. So these yeah. are all lessons learned, aren't they? Oh, this, yeah. So I became involved in taking photographs of BMX racing for them and BMX, what they used to call freestyle, all the, the ramp stuff and so on, which is naturally the side of it that I was personally a lot more interested in. Right. And could apply the same techniques again. So, for example, I remember going down to Rom Skate Park. And we had studio strobe lights out there on stands, right? Power cables running everywhere, and shooting these pictures of Craig Campbell. Who that, this was the first exposure of Craig, who became one of the early sort of uh, BMX freestyle stars. And I remember this tiny, quite nervous person <laughs> having, you know, right, riding the performance bowl thing there, surrounded by all this stuff, and looking a bit sort of niffed about that but you know or apprehensive about it um, so it, it, it was the same type of thing and meanwhile as part of that period I also got Dobie Dobie Campbell who was another of the skate photographer yeah. figures uh, I got him involved in working the magazine so he would shoot stuff there so there were two of us now right supplying pictures to that magazine and basically hanging out in the offices in d Street the whole time okay and so we were trying gradually to tone down that magazine's rudeness about skateboarding. Right. Because they would be part of this skateboarding died type feeling. So they saw like, it as a bit of a joke isn't yeah, anyway. Whole, most people did. Right. So they could have a bit of fun making rude comments about skating. Yeah. Um, but there were two of us in there trying to gradually tone that down and gradually worm some skating into it. Right. Meanwhile... Skating is beginning to show signs of life again. Yeah. And meanwhile, the skate distributors of the era, which would be China largely, for example, were aware of this. China was a big BMX and bike distributor person as well, and one of the major advertisers in that magazine. So suddenly there became a sort of open door for a bit more skate stuff. And okay. China at one point, so agreed basically to fund doing a skate supplement pull-out in the middle of this magazine. Okay, Um, that was the genesis of Rad then? Well, yeah, so there was this slow process whereby Dobie and I managed to introduce a lot more sort of skatey-type stuff into that BMX magazine. Meanwhile, (laughs) there's a lot of meanwhiles in this, there's the whole commercial aspect of of things. So that magazine was... it was hard to keep that thing going. Right. Uh, BMX was levelling out, certainly. So things were difficult. there. Meanwhile, they were very much involved in trying to launch a conventional bicycle magazine called Bicycle Action and were involved in the very, very early days of mountain biking. So, for example, I probably shot the first mountain bike, sort of mountain bike shoot, in this country because they brought over a whole load of these new bikes from California right. and did a test on them. And we took them down somewhere and started shooting pictures of people riding big bikes over things and jumping around. Yeah. Um, so that, to, to try and speed this up a bit, uh, that magazine then hit financial problems and basically the company publishing it Yeah, they went into liquidation. So they sold off the assets and the BMX magazine was sold, who bought it at that point, to, um, oh, yeah, computer publishers, a small computer publishing company. And part of the deal was that the old publishers had to supply the content, albeit on a very limited budget. So as part of that, doing it on an extremely limited budget, basically uh, one of the things that's relevant to RAD is that they, there was this teenage sort of clothing manufacturer, one figure called Nick Phillip, who used to hang around doing this brand called Anarchic Adjustment.
0: Okay, and he I came, remember that.
1: Right, Nick came along to the office wanting to advertise his T-shirts and things. So they said, this is how you make an advert, and right. sort of told him how to do that, and Nick's okay. a graphic person. And within a very short period, uh, Nick is actually getting more and much, much, much more involved in the magazine, becoming a sort of sort of figure helping them do the, the sort of very streety aspect of BMX that was happening at that time. But also, when these new publishers, new owners wanted it produced even cheaper, uh it's basically why don't we get Nick to design it? So Nick became the designer, come paste-up, come everything, on the the magazine. Okay. And that was an absolutely key part uh, for the future of Rad. So there became a little tiny group of us within that old magazine who sort of, I suppose, became increasingly responsible for the content. Okay. And then... You started being able to steer it the way you wanted it to go, a little bit more. Oh, a lot more. And then... The I don't know whether it was money or whatever it was, but basically, the old publishers didn't want to go on providing the package anymore, so the new owners said, You know, what we're going to do, and the answer came up, Well, Tim and Nick could do it. So, two of us basically got the deal to produce the content every month, okay. And they installed us on the court on literally one desk in a mate's office. There's a Somebody they knew had an office in Charterhouse Square and Nick and I had a desk which was probably smaller than the one that we're sitting here. It had a paste-up board on one end and a PC on the other and we started producing the magazine, just literally two of us. And by that point, the, the, the shift in emphasis commercially between BMX and skating was becoming very, very, very obvious. So from the point that 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 new arrangement came into place, which was if issue 50, it was a known plan that we were going to be allowed to do what we wanted to do, which is turn it into a skate mag. So what year was this? I can't remember. 87. 87. Okay. 87. And what
0: was, what was the... Because one of the things you mentioned earlier was, uh, you know, you it felt like there was just a handful of skateboarders in the UK. So so where was where was skateboarding in the UK? Okay, so well I guess generally as well, right? right
1: backtrack a little bit. Go back Because um, some of the
0: shots from the from the Read and Destroy Instagram, you know, you've got the PAL guys over here, haven't you, in like 86, 85, 86. you know, you put some pictures up of like Mike McGill, didn't you? And so, you know, obviously yeah. there's there's been there's been a growth.
1: Yeah, we should backtrack. Yeah, I was saying that the commercial things balance had changed. Yeah. So during the period that I'm talking about, the sort of these transition transition period, skating was definitely beginning to come back. Uh, one of the big changes, I suppose, was its appearance in Back to the Future. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you so about that
0: because you know, from your vantage point, then as somebody who was commercially involved, was that as significant as it's often?
1: Um, No, no. I mean, it's a bit hard. I wouldn't say it really was in the sense that the groundswell had already begun. Right. Steven Spielberg didn't put skateboarding in Back to the Future because he wanted skateboarding to come back. Yeah, he thought it was cool. It it was a cool thing. I mean, just as he put BMX into ET. Yeah, sure. And so on. Um, There was a very good reason for that. So it was already underway. And around that time, for example, there was a big show in Alexandra Palace called the Wind and Surf Show. So I think there it would be mostly clothing distributors from that industry. Had sort of they were aware of the skate side of things and the, the brands, the clothing selling to that type of thing. There was a bit of crossover going on because you had the BMXers all wearing Life's a Beach stuff and yeah. so on. So it was all kind of money. It had begun, and this wind and Surf show was one of the first times that felt amazing because right. the same little crew of skaters turn up. There's a ramp there. Somebody's built a half pipe, and they're going to have a skate event and skate demos on it. And suddenly, there are thousands of people all watching and being really stoked on it. Yeah, they're not turning their backs and sort of walking away. It's become, oh my god, this is the hot thing. Yeah, for the organisers of that show, it was a bit of a. Whoa, what have we done? Right. Sort of, this isn't what we meant. Okay. <laughs> it's supposed to be a sideshow. <laughs> it's right. the sideshow, not us. Yeah. Um, so that was one of these really exciting moments. Okay. Um, there so, were other similar ones during that area. There was a, an indoor ramp built in the park in Warrington. And a, roller, a roller rink, sorry, indoor roller rink there. Uh, built there largely, I think, because of the guy who owned the place liked it and was into it in a sort of way and thought this would be a good thing and that took off and so there would be competition stage there which would be for the same little travelling circus of people pretty yeah. much yeah but suddenly there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids turning up and watching it Yeah. And it was just so amazing
0: so the scene same- you got these little little incubator scenes yeah. that contributed to the growth of the.
1: Yeah, and then suddenly at this point, you suddenly realize, oh my god, it's happening! Yeah, you know, it is actually coming back. It was a brilliant time.
0: Yeah, and, and this was—would you say in the UK is primarily vert and mini ramp at this stage? This would be vert, Just not vert. Mini, ramp,
1: mini ramps. Later,
0: mini ramps later. A little bit. Yeah,
1: um, I think this is vert really.
0: Okay, yeah. so who are the main skaters that you were kind of shooting and featuring at this stage? Uh,
1: Danzey, Sean Goff, um, Pete Dossett, is he around? No, he's, well, Pete he's emerged through. there. He's yeah, coming through. Pete, Pete Dossett really started to emerge, for example, at Warrington, I'd say. OK. He suddenly appeared, didn't he? And then yeah.
2: by 89, he's just killing it absolutely amazing. Yeah. Fast yeah. rate of improvement. Yeah. Uh,
1: lucien like Hendrick. uh, <laughs> <Looney> Hendrick. Hendricks. <laughs> yeah. Hendricks. Danny Hendricks. Lucien Hendricks. Lucian Hendrix, Danny Webster. Um, Barry Abrook. Barry Abrook. A. A. Yeah, the Abrooks... Steve Douglas, in a sense. Bod Boyle. Bod, God, yeah. Yeah. You you had a couple of shots of Bod up the other day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: But still quite a small group, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still the same people. Davey Phillip, um, people like that. Yeah. Um, But still really quite small, like Mm. you said. Mm -hmm.
0: So when did you start seeing it broaden to to streets? Because, you know, within in a few years really i mean we were talking before i started recording i think i started i got into skateboarding in in 9 in 91 i started buying rad in 91 so and and for me it was street skating yeah you know so and 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 the magazine as i remember was there was a lot of street skating in there as well around that time and then as it as it went on as it went to 92 93 it became street skating basically was that was that something that you actively well consciously decided to cover or were you just representing the way the scene was changing
1: it's a little bit of both obviously I'm following what's happening yeah uh, we. it's very hard certainly you know to consciously set out to do something apart from bring skateboarding back and take over a BMX magazine yeah. some of the big things you can you, can, you can do there. you can take over a BMX magazine you can't actually consciously bring back skateboarding yeah um, but you know, I think it's b- about being extremely sort of sensitive to what's happening. Having said that, um, I thought it was absolutely bloody brilliant. It wasn't something that I, I would resist in any way because I've always been really, really, really keen on um, the inclusivity of it all. Yeah. I wanted everybody to be able to do it. And, of course, there is a little bit of a problem with the vert ramp sure yeah <laughs> i mean was
0: just, it was i mean it was accessible yeah you know for me way, that's what skateboarding so. was yeah yeah uh, and i've always been really big on that skating in car parks i mean that i I didn't well, even wasn't even an option to skate a vert ramp it yeah was like, oh yeah this is this is skateboarding this is what you do absolutely and so later that i realized it's considered the worst period in <laughs> <laughs> skateboarding. you know yeah. you know what i mean though like yeah. so but i just it, i think it had to be a positive thing for the amount of people it enabled to get into it right but
1: yeah absolutely I, I really liked that aspect i was really keen on it and worked very hard to make that possible in some ways for example we used to do this thing of going out as much as we could to places all around the country and trying to uh give coverage to small local scenes yeah and where you featured manchester where I'm from i remember yeah but a lot more smaller places than that yeah I mean, you know, really really small scenes i yeah, mean yeah. i loved the thing that we did and uh, what was it called they called themselves mad cow or dead cow basically the St George's estate uh, where people like the Beatles used to live down, right. down near Brooklyn so there was this load of kids who used to who lived near there and they would go in there and find the empty pools and skate them and do stuff like that um, and so they got in touch saying come and do a thing about our local scenes." you know it's just that handful of of people and And you're like yeah I'm sort of totally totally totally, yeah Yeah. but the way the the sort of um, the sort of professional aspect of how to do it and this is why we got this name for sort of including familiar faces and so on is that you'd actually travel with a little mob of people what's going to say so that they do two things for me one is they tell me what to take pictures of because I'm absolutely clueless right I don't know what anybody's doing and they never did I always had to have people sort of basically saying come and do your technical stuff with this Point this is this way. yeah, yeah, it this way yeah but the other thing they did was they meant that there was always somebody you could
2: photograph
0: yeah because I was going to say the way I remember it and I was a kid but you know it did seem that the area the that I got into is quite synonymous with the sort of growth of London street skating with people like Curtis McCann Mike Manzori
2: yeah
0: Simon Evans that yeah. that seemed to was was that the community that you were involved with like, yeah is that what you're talking about when you say that?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, um,
1: I suppose, I mean, I'd like to think that the magazine was involved with a very broad community. Yeah, um, of So course. all those people that you mentioned, to a lesser or greater extent, would they would come to the office, they were wherever the office happened to be. At one yeah. point it was my flat. Uh, um, you know, they would be around the whole time, um, and so they had a huge, huge influence on what we were doing. Some of them, you know, you mentioned Simon, actually sort of had a sort of paid role within the magazine. They were supplying words and pictures and things and doing things, uh, working there, choosing pictures, doing stuff. Okay, I didn't know that actually, right. Yeah, yeah, Simon, yeah, there was always, so the way the magazine was produced was originally there were two people doing it, me and Nick, uh, and then occasionally I would be able to Pay a bit of money to Dobie to take a few pictures to and so on. Uh, but gradually, they tend, I tended to t- sort of somehow or other extract a bit more money, which meant that I could pay a few more people. But the only people that were really consistent was really me and a designer. Um, for most of the time, the designer person, I think this was the case when Dan, you were doing it, was paid by the publisher,
2: weren't they? That's right. Yeah. Ian, Ian Roxborough before me and Steve Hicks after me and Nick Philip. Nick before, yeah. Yeah. It was a sort of deal between the designer and the publisher, yeah.
1: Yeah, so my budget was for everything else. But there was a tiny little crew of people basically who produced the thing every month. Um, And I would have been, I was always desperate to expand that group. So getting new people to contribute. I wish I'd have known. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, God knows. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, I was way, way, way too oblique in my sort of hints within the magazine or a tennis. That's so funny that you
0: say that because I used to. I mean, I was saying this before. It's a huge influence on me. You know, it's a huge influence on the career that I ended up having, which is basically writing about snowboarding, really. But Rad was was a definite window onto a world that you, where I, as a kid from Manchester, was like, all right, you can do that. You know, like you can write about skateboarding, and these people have seem to have a career, and they seem to be traveling around. And I did, yeah. I was, I was like writing my own little scenes and stuff because of that. You know, and I, if I, if I had known, I'd have been pitching you.
2: Yeah, and we would have printed it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sad. It's so sad. I, I doubt that, but. Well, I don't yeah. think there was any shortage of contributors at all. I mean, and you, you've always been a fantastic. Listener and very receptive to whatever came your way, and there were lots of people that did contribute on a regular basis, and you facilitated that. And you had sort of key contributors like Gavin Hills, who was a a big influence. Yeah, Yeah, I was going
0: to ask you about Gavin actually, but maybe I'll ask you about that because I was going to ask you
1: about Fat Magazine because that came afterwards, didn't it?
2: Very um,
0: briefly.
1: Yeah. No. What so when L- you L- know looked- Gavin was very much one of his key players in in Rad, okay, the era, era you're talking yeah, about,
0: yeah. No, I remember, I he, remember, he, um, he was a
1: huge influence. On well, he around. went on to have an incredible career, didn't he? I mean, you- well, it was simultaneous, yeah, until we stopped publishing, then it was ju- just the other guy, yeah. He ended up writing for The Face, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but he was doing that at the same time,
0: right? Okay, um, yeah,
1: because
0: I guess I started buying that a bit a bit later, reading that when I was a little bit older maybe hmm. So, when you look back on this era that we're talking about, it, it, would, would that be the heyday of the
1: magazine? I don't know what the heyday of the magazine was. I mean, for me, it was always seen in terms of different eras of different publishers, each one of which went bust, <laughs> owing me increasing amounts of money. Okay. Because <laughs> the thing is, yeah, I was really mad chasing the money, I can empathise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the last one was I think thirteen thousand pounds or something like, right. like
0: that. Right. Do so you don't exactly? Look back and think,
1: ah, oh, the golden years. Like... <laughs> no, no, there are no golden years, and the sad thing is that for one of the peaks in skateboarding was probably eighty nine. And I keep, you know, I, so I was oblivious to that because that was coincided with one of the... Uh, right. ..the going busts. The
0: episodes. Yeah. OK, let me put it another way. What, what are your best memories of, of those years then? Or have you got That's, an issue that you were particularly proud of? No. No?
2: Oh,
1: well, I mean, I can pull out things that I liked. Actually, quite, we did a photo album. We did two. The second one wasn't as good as the first. The first one I really quite liked... Um, there are things that I remember. It's clear, you know, I've dis- described the thing in um, Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's on the dead cow thing. The cover that we did from that is one of my favourite photographs. And I really loved that photograph, but um, whether it, anybody else did, I don't know. Right. Um, and before you turned up this evening, Dan and I were talking about the Simon Evans interview. Yeah. Which I... Absolutely loved,
0: yeah. Um, I remember well, I, I was saying that was when I saw the the Adidas trainers, the mm-hmm. gazelles. That next time I went skating in Manchester, everyone's wearing gazelles because that interview basically,
1: yeah. I also was so like 92, mm, I don't know, very yeah, near the end, yeah. yeah,
0: right, June 92. or Okay, because you had, I remember from that era, there was the Curtis McCann um edition, if you like, yeah, the Manzori interview mm-hmm. that was around then as well wasn't it so there was that, so they're all quite similar lately. yeah right
2: yeah I suppose it is what yeah. was it
0: you particularly liked about the Simon interview
1: oh I loved the fact that we published an interview that wasn't an interview um, that it was all not true you should have seen the, the versions that we didn't publish <laughs> I just loved this idea of um, you know giving up on the pretense of, of, a, of an interview just yeah have fun with it. Just produce this thing, which is a fantasy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's a very revealing fantasy. It's a very true-to-life interview, actually. But is it a sort of tell us about how you got into skateboarding? No. What's your favourite trick? Yeah. No. And, I, you know, I liked doing some of the pictures for it. I liked you know, this... Some painting with light flash stuff that... I was talking again to Dan about doing that when I was school still I think with mates doing stuff like that and just bringing stuff like that back in
0: yeah, so is it, it, must, yeah it must have been brilliant fun an experiment and, yeah. and as a photographer with all these amazing yeah. skaters if you could just sort of apply these techniques that you'd learned over the years
1: yeah you, I mean there were some bits of it were a lot of fun doing yeah. things like that some not I mean there was always the problem that that I was aware that for an awful lot of people this is deadly serious stuff I mean <laughs> you need to Give respect to both the people who are doing it and the people who are reading it. So, I mean, I know that the Simon interview offended a lot of people because, you know, wait a minute, this isn't true, and that's not what magazines are supposed to do. You're supposed to. But then five years
0: later, that's literally what the Lads Magazines were doing, wasn't it? You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, that was
0: kind of the deal.
1: Yeah. So you know I was aware that we were messing around with people's magazine. You know I always had in my mind one of the things that struck me about it is you know somebody going into their news agent to get the magazine, and probably they'd say, "Is my magazine yet in yet?" or the news agent would be saying, "Here's your yeah, magazine." I've got, I've got you "It's I've got your you magazine." Yeah. And it was always very much um, I felt everyone's magazine in that sense. I was aware that you know there's a group of us who we were producing it and for us it was our magazine um, but for everyone else reading it ideally they thought it was their magazine
0: and what uh, this, this kind of era you've also got like Tom Penny Jeff Rowley yeah. kind of Alex Alex yeah, sort yeah. Of coming up as well
1: different slight different sequence though I mean Alex was before yeah. I remember Tom Penny early, early Tom Penny 90s was amazing. Yeah, yeah Alex Let, was a bit let's before. say yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and that must have been did, did you did you kind of think that they were significant talents at the time
1: Yes, yeah, very much. Um, Yeah, Uh, Jeff Rowley was astonishing. I didn't really appreciate it at first. I mean, it was a case of... I imagine this would have been Sean or somebody like that rang up and said, you've got to come down to Oxford and take pictures of this kid. So I went down there and this ramp just up the road from SS20, I think it was, and was taking pictures of Tom and he had a mate with him and I can't remember who he was. But, I mean, it was, you know... It was clear that this was somebody astonishingly rad. Um, Yeah, you came back to the office after that shoot and you
2: said, There's this kid down there and he just makes everything. (laughs) (laughs) Which which was a phenomenon at that time because because street skating was so inconsistent at that time, right through. So this is 1990.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, the uh, maybe
2: yeah, sorry, <clears throat> so this is like ninety no, early ninety one so so you're, you came back from that shoot in Oxford, and you said there 's this kid, and he just makes everything, and you were completely flabbergasted because nobody else at that point was landing anything in street skating, you know, apart from maybe one every <laughs> two hundred goes or something, so that was you, yeah you were you were visibly blown away. Mm. And, and I was like, oh, okay, but he's a street kid. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, show me the vert guard. But, but yeah, no, that's that. I, me, I can really remember you being completely blown away by him. Yeah.
0: So when um, when did it, I'm going to say, it's a, a bad phrase to use you, but when did it start to go wrong, let's say? Let's put it that way.
1: Um. Again, when, when it, was the end? Like 94? In 93. 93, okay. Yeah, Since then, I realised. Yeah. Uh, again, that's commercial, uh, as in the magazine had been sold to, I thought this was really great. It was bought by the Robert Maxwell empire. <laughs> Wowzers. Three weeks before he drowns. Be what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was the, I, mean, I thought this was going to be stability. The, the irony the funny thing is about this is that was the one time it went bust and the publishers paid, Right, they paid out, which is great <laughs> because the scale of it was so big that you know that was. And so then it was acquired by another, uh, by basically a management buyout of one bit of his organization that acquired it. And they published it for quite a while. Um, but then they decided, you know, basically this isn't working for them, it's right. still too small, it's tiny. I mean, skating was still much smaller, I suppose, than it has become since. I, I really don't know. Um, so it wasn't working, and they were going to get rid of it. And, I mean, the, the so it was in a down phase, I suppose, at that point. And what happened on this occasion, I thought, enough is enough. They said to me, do you want to buy it? We'll sell it to you for 5,000 quid. Right. And I thought, yeah, enough is enough. I'll, we'll do it. So I got to go with some people. We raised the money. To do it which is not about the buying price it's about the ability to fund publishing it for at least six months yeah Uh, but foolishly thought since it's such a lame duck as far as they're concerned nobody else is going to buy it actually haggled over the price (laughs) how'd that go badly they sold it to (laughs) someone else (laughs) right so the someone else then got hold of me and uh i went down to see them and they said we'd like you to go on with the deal I said, ah, they haven't told you something, have they? <laughs> oh, wow, right, OK. <laughs> Is that we were the other people who wanted to buy it. Right. And I'm not doing this. Yeah. We've had enough. Um, See, that's where fat came from. That's magazine. where fat came from, which okay. was a mistake. Right. But we had raised the money and had all got ourselves set up to do it. So we thought, damn, let's do it. What was the idea behind that, then? It was, ba- well, basically, we were meaning to take over Rad and run Rad. Uh, okay. But it didn't happen. So we had to come up with a scheme for a new magazine uh, and sell it to the distributors. So the distributors, of course, in those days, instantly said, this isn't a skateboard magazine, is it? We said, no, definitely right. not. It's got It's got other stuff in it. And so we had to, basically, a lot of fat, the presentation of fat was designed to get the distribution deal. Okay. Um, which was, you know, playing down the skating and playing up the other aspects. Uh, and one of the other aspects was, as it turned out, an article about guns Yeah, and street, a gun in rap culture. And another thing the distributor said tell us about your promotional budget. We want to see your budget in detail about what you're spending the money on. It's every magazine journalist who comes in here and launching a magazine tells us their mates are going to write about it. That's not enough for us. We want to see specifics. So we had to, in order to get that deal, put a budget aside and recruit a proper PR company. And the proper PR company got on top of this all that article about the guns and rap culture. We think we can do something with that. And they did. Is that how that came about? That's how that came about. Wow, I did not we, know that. Because we were... I
0: remember being... Well, not been able to find it, so you distribute this. Weren't that on Earth? No, it. they weren't on <laughs> But I did not know about it, yeah. and then I did obviously realise that it had been canned because of this controversy, or yeah. that had, that had been a contributory oh, factor. Oh,
1: God, yes. So that was, was actually
0: a PR
1: That was a very, went wrong. very deliberate PR thing. Right, that backfired rather the, drastically. It backfired drastically because, unfortunately, it coincided with the JB Bulger yeah. murder. Yeah, OK. Because it was
0: debated in Parliament, wasn't it? And that must, it, was it was that a strange experience? It was.
1: I don't know about that aspect of it. I was very much aware of the blaze of publicity around it. I mean, the thing I remember was Gavin, who was normal. You know, he was the editor of it. We had, yeah. Gavin became the editor of that because I was too busy doing the, the sort of the, everything else. Of the publisher role. Of it. Yeah. So Gavin was literally doing two phone ins simultaneously. Right. He had one phone to, I don't know, Radio London or GLR or whatever it was, and another phone was some other radio station, and he was sort of moving between the two phones. Right. It it was horrendous.
0: But the old line, all publicity is good publicity. Not
1: true. Not Not true. Didn't help. No, 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 no. We had advertisers loving it. Right. We had Sony, people from Sony ringing up. They were so stoked on the content of it. Yeah. Because it was, I mean... Some people were really nice about it. Um, God, I'm trying to think of the radio DJ who did it. Um, somebody hugely prominent on Radio One was just reading out bits of it and guffawing and just saying, This is the most amazing magazine. Right. They were all, you know, lots of people were really, really positive about it. But news agents were saying, We're not having that in here and taking right. it off the shelves. And really? So like it was that. at that yeah. retail level. There was stuff like that happening. Yeah. Right. You know, when you read stuff
0: about it online, the- the line is always well and then a couple of years later Loaded came out so some kind of justification because it was ahead of its time I mean was that a view that you took?
1: Uh, they overlapped I right? Think, I think Loaded was launching right about the same time um, no I think this is a synchronicity thing I'm sure I mean Gavin knew people on Loaded and so on he said yeah they would you know there were copies lying around in people's offices wherever he went and sure so there was an influence there, but to suggest that uh, we were ahead of our time in doing it, no, we were of the time, just yeah. as they were.
0: Yeah, um, just didn't just didn't stick. Basically. Yeah, I think
1: if we'd stuck around, if we'd been able to survive that pit storm, um, it might have been very different. Yeah, I would have then had the quandary of how the hell do we get the skating sort of back to where it needs to be? Right. Okay. Right. So. Um, what did you end up doing after that? That's when I uh, licked my wounds for quite a time, and the, the cost of that was huge, recently. Right. Um, that's when the internet stuff. I started shifting into doing more of that. We'd already done, been using digital technologies a lot within the publication of the magazine. The demise of FAT uh, sorry, uh, coincided almost in exactly with the invention of the World Wide Web. So that's where I shifted I became totally involved in doing digital stuff yeah. for a bit and then funnily enough switched back into the skate industry working for New Deal the distributor over here because they recruited me to set up an e-commerce business uh, but in fact that involved totally reworking all their distribution uh, their infrastructure uh, all their data stuff and so on so Yeah. I spent years doing that which I really enjoyed right. actually
0: so when you look back at it now, what, what do you think the legacy of Rad is?
1: I can't answer that. You no? have to answer that. Well, no, I Because, think... I mean, I just sort of... I did sort of cut off. I mean, it was kind of weird uh, that it's true. I was around the skate industry quite significantly for a period after it. But very much remote from the actual skate side of it. I, mean, right. I was, you know, as my background boy playing with computers... Um but you must see
0: the reaction to like the Instagram account and and, and the response to the, the pictures and you,
1: yeah you
0: must you must see the I fact do. how important it was to people and
1: um I do I do see that and I'm amazed by it and delighted by it it sort of puzzles me a bit really um yeah yeah um, right that's interesting but- but, yeah, I'm delighted by it, I'm stoked by it. Yeah. You know, yeah, come off it, I'm a human being. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, yeah,
0: that's great. And you're doing, I mean, we did briefly mention it, so the, you're going to do a book, you, you boys, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Um, yes, there's been talk over this for decades, but we are really, 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 really doing it now. Yeah. So there's, it, the book is all the, the central photographers from Brad. It's not me. Yeah. Um, it's everyone. Yeah. And that is happening. And the great thing that's happened out of that is getting all the photographs sorted out. For me personally,
0: yeah.
1: is I've never had the opportunity to do anything with those photographs. And they've yeah. just been mouldering away
0: God, that must have been, in a lock-up unit. That must have been playing on your mind. Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> nice to get that off the to-do list Yeah, well, It's
1: amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is all thanks to Dan. And I'm totally in his debt because he's done something that nobody's ever done
0: well i'll I'll, um, I'll definitely direct everybody to the read and destroy Instagram because i I mean, as you can probably tell from the way I've been talking about it, I've definitely been geeking out quite a lot over it and yeah, I mean I think it is it just goes to show the appetite people have, have got for it, so I'm sure the book's going to do do really well. so when you look at skateboarding now and you've got this perspective, obviously you know you we, you talked about the dark ages we, we've discussed the sort of early nineties era I mean it's in the Olympics. Twenty twenty.
1: I am horrified <laughs> by that. I mean, that one really is the thing I I would have dreaded for me. Skateboarding was always to do with it being basically anti-establishment. Um, it was an underground thing. It was something you did because you weren't into competitive sports and so on. So, did you ever dream that it would end up there? No. Seems. I would have called it a nightmare.
0: So, but so yeah. <laughs> But there was no like, oh, well, that's an inevitability, you know?
1: No, uh, no, 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 because I no, this goes back to what you were saying earlier about the street skating side of it. Yeah. I saw this as an accessible thing that people could do anywhere that were into it and weren't probably into organised team sports and, and, and so on. So that's a very, very different thing from the competitive world. Yeah. One of the things I least liked about BMX, my exposure to that was the BMX racing side of it. Yeah. And these fierce, fiercely competitive parents egging on their possibly not-so-competitive children. And, uh, you know, No, no, no. I'm afraid... I mean, I'm not wishing to denigrate it and the people who are into it, but that's not what I was into. I, I was into some other aspect of it.
2: Yeah. Were you going to... Well, I was just going to chime in and say, <clears throat> in relation to the competitive aspect, you did briefly work as a, the, were you the chairman of the English Skateboard Association, briefly? Or? Secretary. Secretary. Mm-hmm. So there was that period in your life, briefly, when you were involved with the organisational sporting, inverted commas, aspect of it, but maybe you thought that sucked, I, you know. It's um, got, it got you there. Yes, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did it because
1: it needed to be done. Somebody needed to do it, and I was in the right place to do it. So similarly, you know, backtracking a bit, when the skate, British Skateboard magazine had all died uh, during that original dark era, I basically turned the mail-order price list of Alpine Sports into a magazine, a sort of newsletter thing, because there needed to be a channel for communication creative. Right. So I did that, and similarly... Uh, when the conventional sort of sporting professional people who had launched the English Skateboard Association walked away from it because it wasn't, you know, skateboarding was dying. It wasn't the type of thing that they wanted to do. There needed to be somebody else to step in and take over some of the administration of it. So I did that for a while. Um, but it's not at all the type of thing
2: that,
1: it, that I was interested in. That, yeah. I you know, really was hostile to it.
0: Yeah. It be mean, really interesting with skateboarding. I think, you know, ironically, it's probably the one that's got the best chance of remaining intact by the Olympics because there actually is a, a, a competitive format which seems to work right now with stuff like Street League and, you know, the, it, that glitzy street skating comp for right or wrong is a package that, that does sort of work right now in skateboarding, isn't it? I think the problem that the other snowboarding and surfing have had in the Olympics is they literally can't translate the, the contest in any discernible, relatable form. You know, what they've ended up doing, especially in the first Snowboarding Olympics, what they did was they just had such little relation to the culture and, and the competitions that, you know, people were genuinely aghast, really. And I think surfing is definitely going to have that problem in 2020. Yeah. But we'll see. Really?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really can't comment on it because I've, I don't know. It's so alien to me that yeah. I have no idea what it's even like. She so you won't be watching. No. No money on, yeah. I don't, well, I've been... A wager? I didn't see any any of the 2012 Olympics. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I didn't actually. I watched watched Mo,
1: but I didn't go. um, It will be a bit weird to think of skateboarding there and not even to watch it briefly. So... I might have a look. I suppose. Yeah, but you'll, you'll be there. You'll
0: thought. be there. Popcorn in hand. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I got one more, yeah. and then uh, I think, yeah, I think we're, we're good. But so, looking back at the the career you've had, what are you proudest of in skateboarding?
1: Um, the well that I gave the opportunity for all those people to do get involved in the magazine, and for the people who didn't get involved in the magazine, I'm really pleased at the thought that they got stoked on the content of it. I mean, that's that's what it was all for. Um, and that really, really is, you know, on my sort of personal things, you see, there's this, thing, I talk of it in terms of all these really good people that I work with who did all these brilliant things. Um, and they were. Um, so for me, it was a wonderful time doing that. Um, and I really enjoyed doing all the local scene stuff. That, of the content in it, that was the stuff I really liked. It wasn't the big name stuff it was the endless hours and miles on the road in the UK going to these obscure places and uh, photographing as best I could what was happening there. Um, Sometimes it required a bit of sort of injection of somebody doing something rather more dramatic there than the locals were doing. But, But that was the best part of it for me. Yeah, totally. Brilliant. Well,
0: thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So there you go, that was my chat with Tim Layton-Boyce and Dan Adams of Rad Magazine and I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said at the top, although Tim's obviously got nowhere near the profile of some of my other guests, your Mick Fannings, your Alex Honolds, for me telling these stories is as important a reason for doing this whole podcast. Sure, a lot of the individuals I've spoken to during the course of this are professional athletes or high-profile personalities – who talked to me about how their very individual passions led them to extraordinary achievements that have obviously inspired us all. That's a totally valid narrative, and it is pretty much the main action sports narrative. You're invited to celebrate the icons, I understand that. That's sport generally. But equally important for me, and perhaps not surprising seeing as I'm a journalist myself, are the chroniclers, the people with as equal a passion for the sports and culture, for whom involvement means documentation, and who were equally as responsible for creating the culture that we all celebrate and that we're all involved with? Tim and Dan definitely fall into that category. And as I'm sure you gathered, I think I can speak personally about the influence of their efforts in my own particular case. And I've got no doubt countless thousands of others. So thanks, uh, Tim and Dan. Hats off to you. And thanks for fighting the good fight on our behalf for all those years. So that's it for this episode. By the time you hear this, I will no doubt be back from my trip to Chamonix where I'm going splitboarding with the great James Stentiford, which I've trailed a couple of times. I'm heading to Chamonix to write a story for a UK newspaper, hopefully score some of that crazy snow that I've been hearing so much about and also have a crack at round two of my interview with James, which all going well will be episode 32. But then, yeah, you've all heard that one before. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. I did have a lot of brilliant feedback from my Aussie omnibus, which pushed me into triple figures on iTunes. Yep, I've now had over one hundred five star ratings on iTunes. Still got nowhere near that old new and noteworthy category, which goes to show what a crock of shit that whole thing was. But who cares, really? Plenty of people finding the pod in their own sweet way without any of helps from that god-awful um, user experience, which I've slagged off before. That said, I do have a bit of an appeal to the great looking sideways listening public. I'm keen to get on Spotify. I've got no idea how you can get a podcast on Spotify. From what I can see, it's a bit of an invite only gig, that one. So if anyone's got any leads or ideas on how to get the pod on Spotify to help me further enhance everybody's listening pleasure, then I'm all ears. And you can hit me up on the usual channels. But yeah, that's it for now. Have a good one and I'll be back soon. See you later. (music)